We're in the series, and this series is entitled Mind Games, Mind Games. And, and as we're in this series, Mind Games, you know, I was thinking about something, and what I was thinking about is that there were, are many uh, things in our lives that happen to us and around the world that we don't always have time to examine all of them. And so what we do is that we make uh, assessments and we use rules of thumb as a uh, way to decide what we should do. And so I want to ask you a question this morning, and uh, it's a rhetorical question, but I'd just like you to think about it for a few moments. And, and that question is, um, which job do you think is more dangerous? Which job do you think is more dangerous? Is the job of a police officer, or is it the job of a fisherman? Which one is more dangerous? Now, if you believe that the job of a police officer is more dangerous than the job of a fisherman, then it is, that is not the, uh, the answer uh, because it, it has been proven that the job of a fisherman is 10 times more dangerous than the job of a police officer. Uh, 10 times more fishermen are killed to one uh, police officer. And what's interesting about that is that the reason that perhaps we may feel that it doesn't mean that that job is, 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 is less dangerous, it's very dangerous. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, that it's not important. It is very important. But one of the things that happens in our lives is that when uh, something happens on the job of a police officer, it's reported through the media, and because we see it, then we are reminded and we remember and we think about that and why it's more prevalent than the dangers that may happen in fishermen. And so what we see then is that we see that what we uh, are, are, are put in our thoughts, what is, uh, I'd say, regularly uh, reported or more often reported to us, we are more likely to believe it. Now, this has something to do with our thoughts. This has something to do with our mind. It has something to do with our memory. It has something to do with the games that are played in our thoughts and our mind. And so this morning, what I want you to do, and then over the next couple of weeks, is I want to prepare you to get to where you have to go, coming from where you are, which brought you from where you were. Okay, let me say that again. I want to prepare you to get to where you have to go, coming from where you are, which brought you from where you were. And so uh, to do that, we recognize then that you have to get beyond where you were to get to where you are, and then you have to go beyond where you are to get to where you got to get to. And so uh, I want to just... Uh, reflect on this particular scripture first in the book of Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. And uh, God speaks something to us that's very powerful. And he talks about really his part. And then we're going to look at another pa passage that really talks about our part. But God tells us what he will do for us. In Ezekiel 36, uh, champions, let's read that together like we know it is the word of his power. Together. Now, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and give you a tender, responsive heart. 
Now, you may, you may wonder uh, about some people if that's really happened to them. But God says that I, when you accept me into your life, when you accept Jesus as your, as your Savior, as your Lord, as your Master, that what I will do is I will take out that stony heart and I will give you a heart that is tender and responsive to me. And, and, and I think it's so wonderful that God will do that for us. So when we accept Jesus as, uh, into our lives, that we become new individuals. Our hearts are new, but our minds, our thoughts are not. Look in, the, uh, in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Because our thoughts are not, then what God does is that God instructs us how we can get to the place of our thoughts that's consistent with our heart. Or he instructs us how our, our, our heart can be the dominant thing in our lives or his instructions or his spirit can be the dominant thing in our lives. And, and he says that this is how you have to do it. He says that, uh, let's read it together. Now, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And do you know what? There are three words that stand out to me in this particular passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The first word is conform, conform. And do you know I love that word? Because what that word means, it means to conform oneself to a pattern of someone else. And so he says, do not conform yourself to the pattern of someone else or to the pattern of this world. But he says then be transformed. And, and, and the word transformed means to be changed into another form. Now God has saved us. He has made our lives new. But we still through our thoughts have to be transformed in our behavior to what he's already done on the inside of us so that others can see it on the outside. And he, then he tells us how to do it. He says, do not be conformed, do not try to fashion yourself uh, to uh, the society of the world, but be uh, changed into another form. How? By the renewing of your mind. That word renewing, I love, because as I looked up that word, that word renewing means to renovate. Oh my gosh. To renovate. And, and, and have you ever, uh, can you just picture renovating an old house? Oh my where you have to tear some stuff out, where you have to rip up some things. Uh, and, and, and so what you recognize is that there's a lot of work involved in renovating. And the amazing thing about renovating something that is old uh, is, is you almost always find something you did not expect there that's going to cost you more than what you had planned it would cost simply because you could not see it. But as you've begun the process of renovation, you begin to discover some things that you could not see. But by discovering what you could not see, you can take that thing and you can transform it into what you desire it to be. And that's what God's really talking about with us. He says that what I, what I want you to do is you're going to be transformed. You're new. Your heart is new got a spirit, but it's just not, your, your thoughts are just not tender to mine and responsive to mine. And so uh, what I'd like for you to do is, uh, is to think with the spirit 
Because the Bible tells us, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitude. But he says, let the spirit do it. <laughs> so what does that mean? That means that you, God, I'll say it like this, God is responsible for giving you a new heart. But you are responsible for new thoughts. God will give you a new heart. He will change your heart. But you are responsible to change your mind. Would you just say that with me? God will give me a new heart, but I am responsible for renovating my mind. <laughs> so, so, so why is that so important? I'm going to read Romans 12, 2 in another translation of the Living Bible and notice what it says. Come on, champion, would you read that with me? Because it's just so good when God gives us his word, isn't it? Romans 12, 2, let's read it together. Now, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. Isn't that interesting? It's that when we re renovate our mind, then we begin to think about our experiences and no matter how good the times were that you thought that they were good, when you were on your own, you recognize that God's way will satisfy you so much more. And, 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 and that renovation causes you now to not struggle with what God places in your heart, but to respond to it because he's given you a tender, responsive What's amazing to me is that as we go through uh, life, our brain puts what happens to us in categories. And, uh, and so you can, it, it takes the words, it takes the tone of those words, it takes the actions, and it categorizes them for the future. And so when someone approaches you based on how your brain has categorized a word, a tone, or an action, you can determine if that person's looking to hurt you or if they're looking to kiss you. I've got to tell you, I've never been in an accident in my, uh, that I can recall in my life. Um, there probably was one earlier on many, many years ago, but I've never been in an accident where the uh, airbag deployed. And so I was like, after everything was over, I was like, what just happened? And the amazing thing about that was as we... The next day, as I began to drive, it changed how I drove. I suspected everybody that was coming my way. And, and I didn't take any chances. My foot partially on the gas, and then I'm ready to hit the brake because of what I had experienced. So there are even experiences in your past that you'll look back on and, and, and say, my brain had categorized that, right? My brain had categorized, be careful of the people that are approaching. Be careful, be careful of the people that approach you. It categorized that. And so over the course of the week, I had to get used to people not turning into me. Now I'm not there yet. So I let Gwen drive this morning. And I looked down the entire time, most of the time. I didn't give her any instructions, which I usually would do. 
because my brain had categorized what happens when cars approach you. Now, what's interesting, though, is that um, scientists say that uh, your brain, if it doesn't uh, like the information it get, it's getting, it doesn't categorize it. And because it doesn't categorize it, what, it, what will happen is that you won't remember. You, three things will happen. You won't remember this information, or uh, you don't deal with it, or you will mishandle it. So, so if you get information that you, you, that you don't like, or, or let's say it like this, you get information that, um, that, that your brain sees information that it doesn't like, then it will do one of three things. And the amazing thing about it is that um, these three things that we recognize, that sometimes that they can be memories of the past, but then these three things will also can go into our future. And, and that's why there are some times that we seek to, uh, I'll say it like this, look for things that agree with us. And we would tend to embrace the things that agree with us. And let me give you an example. Typically, in, in individuals that are more conservative, that are more traditional, and, and let me use the news right now, they would tend to watch a more conservative traditional news. So let me use examples. They would tend to watch Fox News. Individuals that are more willing to change they are willing to change tradition. They would watch more, let's just say, CNN. And, the, and, the, and so what, what's happening? We're tending to look for information that will agree with my position or how I feel. So if you believe that climate change isn't real, then what, well, what you want is someone to do the research to present to you that it's real. But when you get the information, you may discard it because you believe that it's not valid or it's not coming from an objective viewpoint. So what has happened? You have essentially discarded information that disagreed with you so that you did not have to change what you believed. Okay. The Word of God, as you read the scripture, and it talks about values, love one another as you love yourself, as it, as it talks about marriage, husbands, wives, submit one to another, as it talks about purity, and, 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 and there is that relationship that is the relationship between a husband and a wife. That's not the relationship between a girlfriend and a boyfriend. Okay, let me just kind of give you another. I just got to stay right there for a minute. So let me ask you this. See, typically what happens, and, and this is how it messes up the mind games for the person that God actually had prepared for you at some point in the future, but you had not met them. And so as a result of not meeting them, that what has happened in the past, it messed you up and your brain categorized something that wasn't good. So when you met the person that God had for you, you couldn't really receive it simply because that your brain had told you about. Okay. So, 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 so let me give you an example. How your brain has a way of focusing, focusing on things. Have you ever thought about buying a car? 
and you bought this car, or, or you, you didn't buy it necessarily, but you, you thought about it, and you says, oh, I love this car. It's got great gas mileage. It's so, so wonderful. But you never really saw those cars on the road until you thought about getting one yourself. When you got it, then you start seeing, it seems like, every three or four cars at the car that you... Why? It's because your brain has categorized it as something that's desirable, and because it is desirable, then you begin to focus on the thing that you desire. Okay, let me give you an analogy on the other side of that. Dating. It's so critical, that, and it's for a purpose, and many times we cannot see it, but God's causing things to work together for the good of those. And many times you cannot see it. One of the reasons that God has said that... Um, that relationship should be honorable until marriage, uh, or there are some th- it should be honorable even after marriage, but there are some things you should not do prior to marriage. And I'll give you a perfect example. Have you ever driven on a two-lane highway where it's only one lane going this way and one lane going this way, and there is a double yellow line? What does that double yellow line mean? Do not what? Do not cross or do not pass. Why? is because there's danger up ahead, usually a curve, usually a hill. You cannot see what's ahead, so there is a warning sign that says, do not, because there is danger ahead, you don't see it. But if you obey the sign, then you can typically go forward in safety if there's no one just trying to hit you on the other side. (laughs) But what happens, see, and so what happens that there are warning signs or there, is, there are instructions that are given to protect your life. Well, that's the same thing that God does when he says that a husband and wife, uh, uh, there is something that is done in, the, in, the, in their marriage relationship that is not done when two people are dating. Why? is because your brain has a way of compartmentalizing or categorizing the, the relationships. And so notice this. You date someone, you break up. You date someone, you break up. You date someone, you break up. And over the course of your life, perhaps even before you met the right person, you had dated seven or eight people. Now, if you had the same relationship that was not honorable, notice what you've experienced over the last seven or eight relationships. So let me ask you this. Would you go and test drive a car, take it home, put it in your garage, drive it the next day, drive it for five days, And then when you go on vacation, you'll take that car with you on vacation. You'll keep driving it around and driving around and driving it around. And then a year later, you decide you don't want it. And you take it back to the dealership and you say, I don't want it. Do you test drive a car like that? No. I mean, you test drive it, but you don't take it on vacation for two weeks. You test drive it, you take it back to the shop. What God is saying is that a woman should never allow a man to test drive her unless he's he's signed the lease or the note or the license or the certificate. Because you know what happens. Once Once it's driven for so many miles, it becomes devalued. And in the first two years, an automobile loses almost 50% of its value. That's why I like to buy them, buy them after two or three years. Let somebody else take the depreciation. It's getting quiet in the Catholic Church this morning. Would you say, oh me, a man should not let a woman test drive him. I, I, said, I, I meant that both ways, amen? Okay. 
Because women are aggressive these days now. <laughs> look at the book, in the book of Exodus chapter 13, Exodus chapter 13. We're going to take a look at a journey that God had his people on in the book of Exodus 13. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 and 18. This is where God was changing them. He was transforming them. He, he was changing their position. He was changing their condition. He was promoting them in life. And they didn't know fully, excuse me, of what God was doing. Uh, 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 they had not had sight as a, as a nation of what, where God was taking them. And so notice what happens here in the book of Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 and 18. You know, uh, God had told Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, let my people go, and Pharaoh let his people go. In verse 17, it says it like this. It so happened that after Pharaoh released the people, God didn't lead them by the road through the land of the Philistines, which was the shortest route. For God thought, if the people encounter resistance, they'll change their minds and go back to Egypt. If the people encountered ad 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 adversity, if the people encountered war, if the if people encountered that which was resisting their progress, they would go back to what I was delivering them from. So he did not take them the shortest route. Verse 18. So God led the people on the wilderness road, looping around to the Red Sea. He didn't lead them the shortest route because their thoughts was not the newness that he had created for them to live in. And as a result of that, he says that I've got to give them some time. Would you say time? I've got to give them some time so that their mind can be renovated so that they can receive what I'm doing and the promotion that I'm bringing them into. So I can't take them the shortest route. You know what? Perhaps think about this, that you're not at the level of the promotion, you're not at the level of life that you're at simply because your thoughts have, pre have prevented your journey from being shorter and has caused it to be longer. Let me show you this real quick. Take a look at this. Change happens in life. Change happens in life. And, 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 and you recognize that that's, our life is just a part of change. That's what happens. And isn't it good that change happens? Because let me ask you this. If you were wearing those shoes, no, well, people are. Okay. Okay. If you were wearing that leisure suit, oh, they are. So, and I wanted to show that. Why? It's because... 15 years ago, 10 years ago, if you were wearing that, you would have been what? Out of style. But there's a looping. There's a cycle where what wasn't in style all of a sudden comes back in style. Why? Because there's a generation that, that's growing up that think they've got the newest thing. But all it is, there's nothing new. It's just what we did then. 
You know, the amazing thing about that is that this week we were looking at pictures of, oh, um, you know, uh, you know of, of my family going back to when I was first born. And the amazing thing about it is that it shows pictures of me and I look like me. Head full of hair, handsome fellow. But, but in the old pictures, they used to put the date on the side of them, little small letters. And do you know what? When I was five years old, I was standing in the driveway with a bottle in my mouth. Can you imagine a five-year-old sucking a bottle today? But when, when Gwen looked at it, what did she say? Cute. Then she saw my first grade picture. She said, cute. And she saw this huge afro that I had. And she said, cute. And my mother keeps all the pictures and we had her album, and she even had some people, oh, uh, uh, an old girlfriend in there, and Gwen says, not cute. <laughs> so change happens. Now look at this, this next graphic here. The amazing thing right before I start to talk about this is that change does happen. Uh, but change, it says that there's this phrase that no one likes change other than a newborn what? baby. But that's not true. Because why is it that a baby cries when you're changing them? See, it's, everybody wants change in their life, loves change in their life. But the challenge is that what we do not like is the transition it takes for change. That's what we do not like. And look at this next thing. See, change and transition, what we recognize is that change is a situation, it's situational. And, 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 and it has to do with events that are outside of us. You change jobs, you change relationships, you change cities. Uh, change is a situation that's on the outside of us. And, and, and people aren't necessarily averse to change, but, but what we are averse to is the transition of the process it takes to get to the change. Notice this that change is, uh, transition is psychological, but change is situational. And so when we talk about psychological, what it is is it's the feelings and thoughts that you are experiencing when this change is happening. And that's the challenge. And it's almost like this, that you're here, your God is taking you here, but there's a process. And it is in that process that you have challenges with, simply because the process represents the transition that it takes, or the transformation. Do not be conformed, but be transformed or changed in another form so that you can get ultimately to this place that is the will and the purpose of God. Now I want to show you something. Look back at that map and look at this. This is how God took them. He took them looping around the Red Sea. He took them looping around the Red Sea. God could have taken them straight across to Canaan straight across, but he didn't take them straight across. He took them down, and he was looping around. You know what's amazing about that? Is that it was, it was right at the bottom of that when they experienced the wilderness uh, experience, where there were some people that refused to go in to the promised land, but it was at their lowest point, and he was about to turn the picture around and bring them in. But they stayed right there at the lowest point and missed their opportunity to get into the promised land. And that's what happens. It's the transition it takes to get to ultimately 
the change that God desires for your life. Now, one of the challenges we have when we talk about transition to psychological is that there are feelings that we have. And let me just say this about feelings, and, and I want you to get this, because feelings are real, but they aren't always reliable. Would you repeat that after me? Feelings, my feelings are real, but they are not, not but they are not always reliable. Now, you can't ignore them, but they can't be fully trusted. So feelings are real, but they're not always reliable. You can't ignore how you feel, but you can't always trust how you feel. Mm. And so what, what happens in our lives is that there are situations that we face in our lives. And when we face these situations in our lives, that um, we recognize that it is a transition where God is taking me from, he's preparing me to go where I've got to get to what i got to get to from where I am because I need to go there because I got to where I am from where I was. But then God's going to take me to where i got to get to. We have different phases in our lives. And our life, that what we experience, that we experience it in seasons. We experience it in seasons, but um, we live in different phases of our lives but we experience those in various seasons and we live them out on levels. We go through various phases, we experience them in different seasons and we live them out on different levels. And so it's important then to recognize that our promotion is the management of our measure. The promotion, uh, your promotion is how you manage your measure. What do you do with the measure that you have now determines the promotion in your life and you really have to manage it. The Bible tells us where the, uh, the, the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith. He says, increase our faith. They said, increase our faith. The apostles, increase our faith. And what they were asking him to do is that they, was, they were asking him to help them get from one measure to the next measure. And one of the amazing things about it is that as your measure expands, you experience it, expanded intensity. And so what the enemy was able not to have victory over you in the past, he's going to raise the intensity level up as God promotes you. And so if you don't know how to handle it in a smaller level, then you will not be able to handle it on a greater level. And so we can look at our lives right now because low levels are a snapshot of our future as it relates to our measure. And I'll give you an example of that. God desires that you not promote yourself before your time because others will see you when you're not finished. And so the transition is important. The transition is necessary because we ultimately see when the church was birthed, the Bible says they had one heart, one mind, and one voice. And the power was so dominant in the church that that unity was there. And, and, and it gives us a picture of the Old Testament where he commanded blessings that unity was there, and so the Bible says that he added to the church daily. And we recognize the power of one heart, one mind, and one voice. But everybody's got an opinion. Every, 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 every child has an opinion in the house. To some point in your life, you have to recognize, look, we've got to have one mind, one voice, and one thought. This is the value, this is how we speak, and this is how we treat one another. And what happens is that you create a unity 
And if the unity is not there, the Bible says that there is an anointing called the fear of the Lord that drives out the spirit of rebellion. So there's, and so, you know what we do? We pray always that God, I just thank you that our children uh, heart plants for you like a deer pant for the water. Father, I thank you that you're identifying a, a husband and a wife for them that will honor them as your child. Father, and respect and and we, uh, we just pray that when, when, I, when I'm not with Gwen, you know what I pray? I said, Father, I thank you for, Father, my family. I thank you, Lord God, for the anointing that was upon Jesus. And I ask you, Father, for that anointing to flow to me, God. And, Father, that that anointing flow to Gwen, flow to our children. That's kind of how I'd say it. And, and, and it's, it's, it's the same concept of flowing together in unity where God can command blessings beyond the level where we're living at. Now, let's take a look at this because I just want to give you an illustration and then we're going to, we're going to, we're going to wrap this up here. Um, it's important then to recognize that the level of faithfulness that you're at at the lower level is just a, a picture of the faithfulness you'll have at a greater level. Just because you're at a greater level does not mean you would have more faith. You will have more faith. But you demonstrate that at a lower level so that when you get to a higher level, that that faith can even produce greater things. And so you cannot say to someone that you will be a good employee when you get your promotion if you're not a good employee where you are right now. You cannot say that I'll be a good student in college if you're not a good student where you are right now. You have to begin to practice your level or your measure so that it can be increased to the level of your promotion. Uh, let me give you an example of that. Let's say that you begin to ride. Uh, how many of you in here can ride a bicycle and have ridden a bicycle in your life? Just lift your hand. Amen. So, so let me just show you this. When you start out, you don't start out on a, on a motorcycle. But what you start out on, you start out most times on a tricycle. tricycle. It's three wheels, right? And you just pedal that tricycle and you move around. And sometimes we used to get it on two wheels. And then now you, you, you go to another level. And the next level is a bicycle, but you have training wheels on the bicycle. And the purpose of the training wheels is to keep you from falling. And so you ride this thing and you ride this thing until you begin to be comfortable with riding a bicycle. And then the, when the training wheels come off, then you learn at a higher level what you were practicing at a lower level. You can now ride a bicycle and for a couple of times you may lean and you may fall, but then now you're in a place where you can ride that bike and you can ride that bike and you don't have to worry about falling because you were trained at a lower level, but now you're at a higher level. And, and, and you know what? You should not ever get on a motorcycle unless you've been able to successfully ride a bicycle. Because, see, the motorcycle is another level. And, and it's more dangerous at a higher level. But because you were able to do it at a lower level, you should be able to do it at a higher level. Now, let me take you back to this. What if you never started on the tricycle? What if you never had the training wheels and you said, Nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go straight to the motorcycle. You could kill yourself. Why? It's because you... Where you, you move yourself to a level that you were not, your measure 
was not prepared for. You had not been trained in. You had not gone through the transition of practicing the next level. And as a result, it is more dangerous at the next level when you have not practiced that faithfulness and that measure at the lowest level. And what does God want you to do? He gives us a picture of what our lives should be like. As we look at the life of Joseph, God gave him a dream. And when God gave him that dream in his father's house, Joseph had to be faithful to the dream because the Bible says God was training him and transitioning him. And the Bible says that God evaluated him based on the word that he had given him. What happens? He gets to Potiphar's house, and Joseph has to be faithful in Potiphar's house. Joseph gets to the prison, and Joseph is interpreting dreams because he was faithful at one level, that it did not look like he was being promoted, but he was because God was giving him more exposure as he practiced the gift that God had given him faithfully at a lower level. And then when Joseph got to Pharaoh's palace, he was interpreting dreams there. And why was he so successful? Is because at the lower level, he was faithful. In his father's house, at Potiphar's house, he was faithful. In the prison, he was faithful. And God ultimately promoted him because what he did at one level, he was able to do at another level because he allowed God to increase his measure because of his faithfulness. Change is desired by everybody. Promotion is desired by everybody. It is not the change and the promotion that we struggle with in life, but it is the transition that requires thoughts, feelings, and emotions that it takes to ultimately get to the place of change. And what God wants to do is God wants to prepare you to get to where you got to go, get to. Because the place where you are is where you have come from, but it's not the place where he is taking you. But what it requires is you to be faithful on the level you're on right now. Because what you do at one level, you're able to do at another level. And what you're able to do at that level, you're able to do at another level. And you ultimately become responsive to what God desires. And it is at that moment, because of your thoughts, have a, have a, your mind has been re be renovated. Because you've torn out things and you've focused on him. You've focused on the, that faithfulness. That's what God was testing them. And you can change your thoughts. You can change your mind. Then you come to a place where elevation happens, promotion happens. And when you get to that place... God says, now I know. So the question is, where are you now in your faithfulness to God?